Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fan fabulous episode of the take it easy podcast happy happy friday everybody it is june 18th we are slowly approaching our two-year anniversary here on the take it easy podcast and what better way to celebrate that two-year anniversary than with you guys giving me the gift of four Hundred count them four hundred five star reviews on Apple Podcast. We're about six away, and as we get closer to that date, we are really looking to get to that number. So make sure to leave a five star rating and a review. Doesn't have to be a nice review; just has to be a review. We got a fun show planned for you today. We are going to talk about this crazy forty eight hours of the Dallas Mavericks going from. Reports from the athletics to from the athletic, sorry, from from the athletic about the shadow GM and discomfort within the organization to Mark Cuban's denial to all of a sudden a clearing of house for an organization that had Luka Doncic not gotten injured and had Kawhi Leonard not gone absolutely berserk in a game six in Dallas could have been in a similar situation to the Clippers, one game away from the conference finals with that generational superstar at 22 years old. It's a very weird situation, but we're going to break all of that down coming up later on the pod. Also, douchey hockey guy is coming on back because we haven't mentioned what's going on with the Habs and the Vegas Golden Knights who are somehow playing in the Western Conference Finals, I guess, even though Montreal isn't technically in the West. This is... uh the equivalent of the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals is between Tampa Bay and the New York Islanders, who might be the best team in New York. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let's talk Bucks and Nets. Because by the time that we come back for Wired Up episode 78 on Sunday, and I'm going to be taking a nice little two-day break We've been churning out content like nobody's business, so I'm going to need that break. I'm going to try and log off. I'm just going to not pay attention to numbers or stats or 
anything like that. Just take that break. And two days from now, game seven between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets will be completed. And maybe we'll have something to talk about on Sunday around that series. But I wanted to talk about this series with the game seven implications, because now it all comes down to one game. Whether or not Kyrie Irving plays, it seems like he probably won't. James Harden had a bit of a bounce back in game six, but still is obviously injured. The Bucs offense, despite some successes tonight, overwhelmingly seemed broken, or I guess this would be Friday, so Thursday. Um, despite some of that, they, they do feel a little bit broken still and overwhelmingly dependent on the ISO game, which, by the way, I do start to understand why people say that ISO basketball is boring and why they thought James Harden and Trey Young were boring is because when there's not a lot of offense that goes down, it can be a little bit tedious. So I kind of understand it from some people's perspectives. But ultimately, the Milwaukee Bucks are one game away from either having the entire blueprint be shaken up and potentially having a window close with a second round exit or advancing to a conference finals that theoretically could have them against the Atlanta Hawks, a team that they're healthier than, have a better star than, and possibly have a second better player than the best player on the Atlanta Hawks being Trey Young. No disrespect to Trey Young, we're the mayor of Warriors South, but even the mayor of Warriors South could not have projected what has happened to the Atlanta Hawks beneficiaries of a 26-point collapse by the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 5 on Thursday. And so the Milwaukee Bucks are faced with a really interesting situation. What I wanted to to dive into here is what does the future look like for Giannis Antetokounmpo with or without a victory here? Because this is a huge game that it's not going to be legacy-defining, but it certainly shakes up what the Milwaukee Bucks look like because in addition to Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson, who have stories surrounding them about the uh, unhappiness of certain family members or the disgruntlement between Luka and the organization in Dallas, those guys are still technically the babies. They're not even the generation of now. They're the generation of next. Those guys will slowly start coming of age, having deep playoff runs, and establishing themselves by winning MVPs and awards beyond rookies of the year. Luca and Zion are, and Trey Young will throw Trey Young in there. They're leading the baby generation. This current generation that, as we've talked about over and over in the playoffs, has taken the reins from the, the older generation. LeBron is is bounced with Anthony Davis's injury, of course. Uh, Damian Lillard is starting to fade to the blackness. Steph Curry fading to the blackness. Uh, guys that we have become associated with across six years of basketball, whether it be uh, Russell Westbrook or potentially Giannis having a chance to eliminate an entire team of them between Ke Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, who are three of the ten players that we associate with the last six, seven years of NBA basketball. Giannis is leading the charge for the future generation that is winning this battle of the generations. Even as Kawhi Leonard goes down for the rest of the playoffs, potentially looks like probably might be gone for the playoffs, but I'm also expecting a game seven in Utah on Sunday that we can discuss. But as Kawhi Leonard drops out 
and now the Bucks find themselves one game away from knocking out the the old school super team, the guys who are in, now in their 30s, exiting their prime. Giannis has one game to eliminate them from the playoffs. And for Giannis's sake, as the leader of this next generation and going up against Kevin Durant, who after game five, we all kind of universally conceded. Yes, Kevin Durant is better than Giannis Antetokounmpo, even if Kevin Durant does not have a better team right now than Giannis Antetokounmpo because, oh, he's got Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday who can get buckets at a better rate than everyone on the Brooklyn Nets not named Kevin Durant. Better than white boy Joe Harris, who was one for four from the three-point line. Better than James Harden, who had a great improvement in the game, but still only took nine shots and finished with 16 points and seven assists in 40 minutes. Or Blake Griffin, who shot one for four from the three-point line. Or Jeff Green, who shot two for nine from the field. Or anyone else down that bench. Milwaukee has three go-to shot getters at this point, And the Brooklyn Nets have about one and it's Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant was good enough to win game five like with some Jeff Green critical three-pointers from Jeff Green it was enough but what Milwaukee can get is consistently 20 and 30 points across the board from Middleton Holiday and Anadokounmpo maybe not every night but more consistently than Jeff Green Blake Griffin and white boy Joe Harris and so the Bucks have all the expectation in the world even going back to Brooklyn at this point and we've talked about what it means for the future of the Bucks when the series was at 2-0. But I want to talk about this for the future of Giannis. Because Giannis has already locked himself into that long-term contract. It does not mean Giannis is going to stay with Milwaukee long-term. Ultimately, all it stands for is Giannis Antetokounmpo is now potentially a trade away from he, he, he can force a way out at any point, like like we talked about with Damian Lillard and we talked about with um, James Harden in Houston right before all of that came down. is like James Harden had three years left on his deal, worked his way out. Giannis can do that at any point. And the Bucks find themselves now in a weird place being year three of this current iteration of the team. And they've pushed virtually all their chips into the middle. Their only move left is to trade Middleton or Drew Holiday for a player better than Middleton or Drew Holiday. But the thing about that is that players better than Middleton and Drew Holiday don't exactly grow on trees. Maybe Bradley Beal is available, but it's not like those types of players are just magically coming available all the time. They can't go get Luka. They can't go get Zion. Their free agent class is extremely limited. And in terms of trade partners, there's there's not a lot of teams selling off their star players at this point, other than maybe like Colin Sexton for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But I don't even know if they would have enough to go get a Colin Sexton via a trade. But that's all besides the point. What is interesting for Giannis is that, and and Cam talked about this earlier today, is that this is a golden opportunity for Giannis Antetokounmpo. You look at the the playoff bracket as a whole right now, and you can go down the line at, what injuries have placated teams so far in the playoffs? And DiVincenzo is obviously a tough loss for the Bucs, but ultimately their core five, six players are still intact at this point. You can go to, of the teams remaining in the playoffs, Utah Jazz, Mike Conley's been out, and Donovan Mitchell's battling injury uh, with his groin injury. Uh, Chris Paul, COVID protocol. Um, three seed was Denver. They lost Jamal Murray. Four seed was the Clippers. They lost... 
Kawhi Leonard and now Serge, well, Serge Ibaka and now Kawhi Leonard. Um, one seed in the East, 76ers, uh, Joel Embiid battling his meniscus injury, or a partially torn meniscus for Joel Embiid. Uh, two seed is the Bucks. three seed, I'm sorry, two seed Brooklyn, Kyrie and James Harden injuries, four seed Atlanta Hawks, no DeAndre Hunter, who was their third leading scorer. So the Bucks are the only team with the core intact. And as we talked about coming into the series, if this is going to be a de facto NBA Finals, which obviously the math on this has been changing so much in the last two weeks because of all the changing injuries, if the Bucks and and Brooklyn were the two elite teams that were supposed to meet in the conference finals, and we were vindicated on the fact that the Sixers could win a championship, but probably wouldn't win a championship when stacked up against elite competition and they're they're struggling against the Hawks which is just even funnier um it would leave the Bucks and Nets as like the teams that would advance to the finals and pounce on Utah or Phoenix and even if we don't feel confident about the Bucks or the Nets against those teams because of the way injuries have fallen or because our confidence in the Bucks offense is shaken because they're extremely one-dimensional it still doesn't take away from the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks have a golden opportunity right now to pounce on the NBA. And what does this mean for the future of Giannis? Well, Giannis is going to be a Milwaukee Buck no matter what. And he's already won two MVPs, but the Bucks don't necessarily have an all-in move left. And this is the thing about windows in, in sports, not just in basketball, but in football, in baseball, in hockey. Rarely do you get a window that lasts longer than four years, like a prime maximum window, because... Usually in four years, players reach different stages of their careers, whether it be from entering their prime to exiting their prime to reaching a free agent contract, whatever it may be, every four years there seem to be cycles, especially in the NBA where contracts can't go longer than five years and the prime of an NBA player typically is from about age 27 to age 31, which is somewhere between four to five years. Really, we can extend it further, like 28 to 32, um, typically is the prime of an NBA player. And so you go through different career stages every four to five years. And it's now been three postseasons removed, two full years, two full calendar years, and three postseasons removed from one of the most vivid memories that I've had watching NBA basketball. And it's because it's my favorite series in the world. And I love TNT's coverage of the, the conference finals more than I love the ESPN coverage. ESPN just doesn't do it intensely enough. It doesn't feel like playoff basketball quite like the TNT voices and the TNT broadcasters do. And it was inside the NBA. This was 2019. So I was a senior in high school. It was inside the NBA in Milwaukee. After game two of the Eastern Conference Finals, this is the first year post-LeBron. So LeBron had missed the playoffs with the Lakers, and Anthony Davis had just requested a trade, and the baby Lakers were about to be blown up. So LeBron had just left the Eastern Conference, which he had won for the first for eight straight years, won the conference eight years in a row. And it was the Milwaukee Bucks as the number one seed. Giannis was the MVP, and they won about 60 games in the regular season. And they were going up against the Kawhi Toronto Raptors. They were up 2-0 in the series, and Malcolm Brogdon was being interviewed after the game. And I will remember explicitly Ernie Johnson talking about, you guys are two games away from the NBA Finals. 
And if in that moment, I just have this vivid memory of thinking that the Milwaukee Bucks were going to the NBA Finals with MVP Giannis and Brogdon and Chris Middleton. The the Milwaukee Bucks were going to the NBA Finals. And to think that the Milwaukee Bucks would n- now two plus years later, we this was pre-podcast. This was two months before we even had a podcast while I was still in high school. The fact that the Milwaukee Bucks could not get closer than that moment is, I mean, I talk about this in, in football a lot. It's genuinely startling and it's going to be hard to explain how the Milwaukee Bucks weren't closer across these last few years, whether it be the sweep by Kawhi Leonard winning game three in double overtime, double overtime to keep the series from going to 3-0. And that's basically a death sentence. It means the series is basically over. It means that game four is just a wash and we're all going to go home and Kawhi Leonard's going to check out and go head to Los Angeles to win game three in double overtime dominate game four in Toronto, go back to Milwaukee, shut down Giannis and win game five to then go back to game six in Toronto, shut down Giannis again and advance to the NBA finals that with the beneficiary of hindsight would also be the NBA championship to then have the best record in the NBA, best record in the league in 2020 on pace to win 67 games, have a pandemic stop that, get to the bubble, and get beat by the Miami Heat, in part because they have a Giannis stopper in Bam Adebayo, but in part because Giannis got hurt in Game 3 of that series, to then have your window change overnight, to trade all your draft picks, to go all in on Drew Holiday, and then to take those draft picks with Drew Holiday and get to this point where you are one game, your best chance to win a championship since that 2019 Malcolm Brogdon interview on Inside the NBA, your best chance to get to the NBA Finals is all going to ride on one game is a huge huge storyline and we talk about this all the time with the psychology and sociology of sports stakes and storylines drive interest to these events and if the Milwaukee Bucks find themselves in a situation like they're in now with the huge stakes and the huge storylines behind these ne- by behind these next 2 days and this next one pivotal game 7 it changes the entire future for the Bucs because it would have only been crazier had Giannis not signed his extension before. It's clear Giannis, by signing that extension, bought the Bucs two more years of Giannis, but it does not mean their championship window is going to be open for two more years. If the Bucs win, good for them. I will declare that they are the favorites to win the NBA championship. If they can beat, if they can get past Brooklyn, that gauntlet of a team with their 20th ranked net rating off or net rating defense. If they can get past this Brooklyn team, if they can benefit from James Harden only playing 43 seconds before having a hamstring injury in game one to Kyrie Irving, having an unfortunate high ankle sprain by landing awkwardly on Giannis. If they can get the good luck, the good luck that they haven't had across 
the last 15 months of a pandemic. Just terrible luck for the Milwaukee Bucks across having the best regular season team to Giannis running away with the MVP to having the pandemic stop the season for four months, take everything to the bubble, give everyone time to rest up and ultimately lead to Giannis's injury derailing a team that could have won 67 games and dominated the Eastern Conference. Because as we saw, there were no good competition to the Milwaukee Bucks last year. It was just a Miami Heat team that the Bucks probably would have beat had Giannis not gotten hurt in Game 3. And all of the math changing on that series and all of the math changing on the, the Bucks' future put so much of an intriguing storyline on this final game seven in Brooklyn on Sunday, because the Milwaukee Bucks have only one move left after this. It's to go all in on trading either Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton to get a player better than those two to help pair with Giannis and maybe help them go into less ISO play. But to be honest, they've gotten enough good luck to this point where they should be able to, if they get by this series, get to the NBA Finals, whether they play the Sixers or the Hawks, they should be able to get to the NBA Finals with relative ease, as we've been talking about all year. The Bucks and the Nets, all year I've been saying, Nets super team, only team that can take them down, Milwaukee Bucks. Best chance to take down the Brooklyn Nets is Milwaukee. And Milwaukee didn't even put their best foot forward for a lot of these games. And yet still they're going to get a one game winner go home chance with a depleted Brooklyn Nets team to get by that gauntlet of a test and put themselves in a position against relatively inferior opponents and injured opponents throughout the season to go get that championship that they were so desperately craving to try and keep Giannis to stay. And maybe the pressure is off because Giannis has signed that extension, but it doesn't change the realities that your window is closing because you no longer have cap flexibility. Chris Middleton's getting $39 million for the next three years. Drew Holiday's getting $40 million for the next three years. And Giannis is getting a super max $44 million extension. Those three in and of themselves put you $11 million over the salary cap. And you're allowed to go over to re-sign players. So I don't want to make it seem like, oh, they're already dipping into luxury tax. You can go over to sign other players on your team to re-sign people. But they don't have room to add anyone other than just a P.J. Tucker at a $7 million cap rate or sign some mid-level exemption uh, Brooke Lopez's or a mid-level exemption Bobby Portis or Bryn Forbes. And ultimately, those guys are pretty interchangeable. They're not exactly franchise turners. It's just better to have them than to not. And if that's the core of their team and they're not good enough now, and as we've seen across the last two years, the 76ers got better, the Brooklyn Nets got better, the Atlanta Hawks are getting better, the Boston Celtics ideally would get better. There's a lot of competition moving up and the Bucks are going to start staying stagnant. And that is exactly how windows start to close. And you're now one devastating result away from everything falling apart. And for Milwaukee, this game means just about everything for the future of Giannis Antetokounmpo, knowing he's going to be in Milwaukee, but also acknowledging your window is closing quite rapidly. I think they're good enough to win this year, even with or without injuries benefiting them because they're now the healthiest team remaining and ultimately one of the healthier teams with as much talent as they have and having that guy in Giannis, having good luck in health, 
and one of the four to five best players in the NBA. And we've talked about this a lot before with the exception of about three NBA champions in the last 40 years, every single champion has one of the four to five best players in the NBA. And many of them have two of the four to five best players in the NBA. The combination of having one of those guys that instantly makes you an elite team instantly makes you elite having LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis, Kevin Durant instantly makes you an elite team and having good luck with health that instantly makes you a championship contender. And even if Milwaukee doesn't get through this series, I still think they can be a championship contender next year because they still have this core relatively in their prime. Chris Middleton's exiting his prime into his 30s. Drew Holiday is now on his third team in his 30s. And he wasn't necessarily, he's a fringe all-star to begin with. And so the Bucks can still win, but that window is getting is is becoming more closed and that golden opportunity is in front of them. And I don't know if they're going to get a better chance given that the last time they had a golden opportunity like this in a game seven to take down Brooklyn, it took over two calendar years for them to get that opportunity again, because the last time it happened was that Ernie Johnson interview in 2019 up to O going back to Toronto in a wide open Eastern conference that would ultimately prove to be a wide open NBA. And they have not gotten back to that point in two years. And if they lose tomorrow or on, yeah, if they lose tomorrow to the Brooklyn nets, they will also remain that far away for another full calendar year. Maybe to never get back to that point when I felt they were going to the NBA championship with a confident Malcolm Brogdon standing on the stage of inside the NBA and telling you about how damn good Giannis Antetokounmpo was. They may, if they don't win tomorrow, they may never get back to that point. And the fact that they have a chance to get back to it on Saturday is a testament to just how short these windows are. So capitalize on that opportunity, Milwaukee, because the future does not look as bright as it does right now. It still looks bright. Giannis signed his extension. We can put that into relative into relative matters. Like it's not like your future is a bleak, barren landscape, but your championship window has gone from expanding to closing and the clock is ticking slowly but steadily and you may not have a more golden opportunity than playing that super team of the Brooklyn Nets with the Philadelphia 76ers down 3-2 to the Hawks with Kawhi Leonard out for the playoffs with LeBron James eliminated and with Chris Paul in COVID protocol you may not have a better chance than right now to take down that Brooklyn super team with which is no longer a super team because they have no Kyrie Irving and an extremely limited James Harden. They're just another team, and you've got one game, win or go home, to maximize that opportunity to capture that window and make that future look a whole lot brighter. So good luck to the Milwaukee Bucks. You've created ultimate stakes and ultimate storylines around what we thought at the beginning of the series would be the de facto NBA Finals. And even if we're on shaky ground there because of the reality of Brooklyn 
Brooklyn's injury situation and Milwaukee's limited ISO offense that is not giving us a lot of confidence right now. Even if we've changed on the fact that it was the de facto NBA Finals, it still makes Milwaukee the front runners going forward. It's just not as much of a guarantee as before. And so one game, winner go home, you get to take two of the stars off the crazy super team, capitalize on that opportunity because you might not get that chance again. You had to wait two years to get the opportunity. And now you got to capitalize on this first opportunity that you have. Game seven against the super team, against the Goliath that everyone felt was better than you all year. And to be honest, on paper, when healthy, are better than you. You can get by them right now and you may not have a better opportunity after this and i am so hyped for that game seven so to kick off our coverage on this dallas Mavericks story i wanted to first play a little clip from our uh, take it easy radio show on thursday and again if you want to check out the take it easy radio show Check the link in the description to today's episode on Open Talk Radio and our YouTube live stream. So this video is courtesy of our YouTube live stream where we were live on the air when the Rick Carlisle news broke. And I wanted to share that fun clip because me having live reactions to things are always fun to share on the podcast. And this is why I love doing live stuff is because we can have weird moments like this where live on the air, we figured out that Rick Carlisle had just left the Dallas Mavericks organization after 13 years in NBA championship and 24 hours after Mark Cuban fired GM Donnie Nelson. Just make everything a thousand times more interesting. We're just going to repeat the process that we had on Tuesday where, you know, oh my gosh, breaking news into the podcast. Longtime Mavericks head coach has told Mark Cuban he won't be returning as coach next season. Oh my gosh. Wow, we got to drop everything right here on the Take It Easy radio show. So Rick Carlisle left the Dallas Mavericks as like the penultimate event of a really crazy 48 hours. And so... With the uncertain future around the Dallas Mavericks, let's explain what's going on with the last 48 hours and what it means going forward for the future of the roster. Because something that we talk about in basketball, and really it it applies to all sports, but especially in basketball, where devastating results lead to devastating consequences. And we talked about this with the Portland Trailblazers and them firing Terry Stotts at the end of the season to Boston and them restructuring their entire front office. Uh, to Milwaukee and what we talk about with Mike Budenholzer and the fact that Coach Bud is going to get fired if they lose that game seven, even if it's not his fault, even if he coaches the perfect game. Ultimately, someone has to be the fall guy. Something has to change. And since the Bucs aren't in a great position to adjust the roster, the coach is the thing that's going to change. And so The Dallas Mavericks view this situation as a dramatic result that requires a dramatic shift, and they're going to start building a team around Luka Doncic. So this story starts out on Tuesday when there's a report from The Athletic that details a situation around the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic and their GM, or their, uh, uh, a potential 
shadow GM within the organization who has rubbed up the wrong way with Luka Doncic and also sets up some of the... Uh, it set up a stalemate and a power struggle between Donnie Nelson and Mark Cuban and the remainder of that Mavericks organization. And so the story from The Athletic within 48 hours totally changes everything going on with Bob Volgaris. And he's the GM of the team who, uh, while he was in his courtside seat, uh, motion downward with quote motion downward with his hands, which Luca specifically interpreted as Vulgaris telling him to calm down. Multiple team and league sources told the Athletic. Doncic snapped back, telling Vulgaris, according to one source's recollection, "Don't bleep and tell me to calm down." The same sources said Vulgaris later professed that his motion wasn't solely about calming down. And then later on, Vulgaris left uh, the game partway through when they were losing by double digits, and Luca kind of called him out on that. So it seems that Luca has bumped heads with this guy, but that Mark Cuban values him a lot within the organization and that it seems like a classic battle of who deserves some credit. This guy has been really smart for a long time. So he had all these formula. He made a million dollars gambling, then created all these formulas and, and uh, stats and data to track NBA players that then landed him a job with the Dallas Mavericks organization as an analyst. And many view that like he was his beneficiary, he's buddies with Mark Cuban, and he oversteps his position sometimes, which sounds like a Jack Easterby situation with the Houston Texans. And for those who don't know about that, I recommend searching for our podcast, Easterby's 11, how a team pastor staged a coup of the Houston Texans. And... That will give you a more in-depth version of the story of Jack Easterby and the craziness around the Houston Texans and uh, Cal McNair, the owner, protecting him, despite the fact that he may be making some decisions that upset players like Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt, including trading two first-round picks, essentially five first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil and giving up DeAndre Hopkins for a second-round pick that ultimately... Um, led to some sour feelings within the organization about how it was being run and how Cal McNair viewed his players similar to his father, who is famous for saying, or is infamous for the inmates run the asylum comments. So anyways, Mark Cuban is partial to this Vulgaris guy. And Vulgaris kind of becomes the shadow GM and he sets lineups for Rick Carlisle at times, according to the reports. And... Mark Cuban comes out after the fact and just vehemently denies just aggressive, aggressive denial from Mark Cuban about this story that it's just all made up and all false. But the thing about it is the reporting is so thorough and so accurate and Mark Cuban has an incentive. I'm sorry, not so accurate. It's so thorough and requires so much uh, sourcing and confirmation and, and secondary sources and tertiary sources and going through so much that the story has been watered down to the point where you can trust the things that are said in the story to be at least a, at least a, a representation of a larger picture where there's smoke, there's fire and there's details in the story that back this idea up. They're not necessarily revealing stories. They're just Luka Doncic yelling at uh, this GM multiple times and having problems with him. And then reports from Tim McMahon later on that he had problems with Rick Carlisle and was bumping up with him. And so 
ultimately that ends up becoming a power struggle within like 48 hours of the story being released. It's announced on Wednesday that 16 year general manager, Donnie Nelson been with the organization before Mark Cuban was hired in 1990 or Mark Cuban bought the team 1997 and 16 years as a GM, his father being the famous executive with, the Golden State Warriors and Dallas Mavericks who drafted Steve Nash and drafted Dirk Nowitzki for the Dallas Mavericks. Donnie Nelson leaves after 16 years. And while the Mavericks say it's mutually agreeing to part ways, further reports say that this was a mutually agreeing that Donnie Nelson was fired because Donnie Nelson had lost a power struggle, presumably against Mark Cuban and this vulgaris guy. After the reports came out and everything kind of became public and Vulgaris had kind of become a a black sheep, per se, within the organization. And Mark Cuban went to bat for him, or at the very least, Donnie Nelson was not someone he was willing to go to bat for, given that the organization was already looking at clearing out Rick Carlisle, clearing out Donnie Nelson for a franchise that, despite the fact he'd been there 16 years, had not won a playoff series in a decade, which is obviously going to hurt a little bit when you're doing the math on these things. And so the Mavericks had been ridiculously or remarkably, not ridiculously, it didn't, you know, it's hard to figure out the hiring process. And I attest that why would you fire a coach if it's going to be difficult to find someone better than Rick Carlisle? If you have someone lined up better than Rick Carlisle, that's understandable. And if you have a GM lined up better than Donnie Nelson, then it's okay to fire Donnie Nelson. If it's this vulgaris guy, that's another interesting point, given that the thing most people know about this Bob vulgaris guy now is that he's a nerd who makes Luka Doncic angry. And maybe that's not the full picture. Of course, it's not the full picture. It's just what we just learned about this guy from detailed reports that Luka Doncic doesn't really like him and rubs him the wrong way. But ultimately, it leads to Donnie Nelson being outed in a power struggle with Mark Cuban and less than 24 hours after that. So less than 48 hours after the report comes out and Mark Cuban and Donnie Nelson or Donnie Nelson is mutually agreed that he is fired. and. Rick Carlisle walks away from the organization. Rick Carlisle, 13-year coach, champion coach of the Dallas Mavericks, who, if you want to talk about how much winning a championship can buy you, it bought Rick Carlisle a lot of time, and he was really loyal to the Dallas Mavericks. The fact that he stayed through the losing and the getting of Luka Doncic when Rick Carlisle could have had any job he wanted in the NBA is a testament to that organization and the way that Mark Cuban was going to stick by the champion coach and the champion general manager, despite the fact that they were long done with winning, that Dirk Nowitzki was just an albatross of a contract that was helping the Dallas Mavericks start to fall out of relevancy because they could not replicate a new star similar to Dirk Nowitzki. And they stuck by the organization, they stuck by those two, and they ultimately were rewarded with this magical child of Luka Doncic, who at 22 years old is breaking NBA records and someone that we said without his neck, back, and shoulder injury and a 42-point Kawhi Leonard, 42-point Kawhi Leonard in 42 and three quarters, Kawhi Leonard game six in Dallas, could have had Dallas still alive in the playoffs and presumably one win away from making it to the Western Conference Finals with a 22-year-old superstar of max contract in Porzingis and not a whole lot else. 
the Dallas Mavericks were that close to having that measure of success and everyone would have still been employed. And this report maybe comes out, maybe doesn't, but the turn of events leads to a clearing of house in Dallas after a year where they improved year over year, but were ultimately disappointed because their expectations changed once they started beating up on the Clippers in the first round. The same Clippers team that's now beating up on Utah for the past three games, even without Kawhi Leonard and his sprained knee, which might be a torn ACL. But in 48 hours of a report around the, the issues within the organization going public and coming to light, Mark Cuban has a power struggle that ends up le- leading to his champion GM of 16 years and champion coach of 13 years departing the organization. And now you clear house with not a great cap situation because Porzingis is under a max contract for three more years and they just are about, they're about to in this offseason pay Tim Hardaway a hundred million dollars. And it's really not a smart idea to pay 90 to a hundred million dollars for Tim Hardaway in free agency, which is going to cap strap them even more to bad contracts and put them in a position where, yes, they have Jalen, uh, Josh Green and Jalen Brunson. It's about to call him Jalen Green. Jalen Green's the top four pick in this year's draft. Uh, They would love Jalen Green right now in Dallas. They would really love a Jalen Green to help supplement Luka Doncic's soon-to-be gigantic extension and the bad contract they have on Porzingis that can only be swapped with another bad contract at this point, maybe for less years and attaching a draft pick they don't have because, oh, by the way, they don't have a draft pick this year and they don't have a draft pick in 2023 because they traded it to the New York Knicks to land Porzingis in the first place. So that deal is really coming back to bite them. They have limited draft capital, a couple of really bad contracts, and Luka Doncic about to go from making $7 million a year to making $40 million a year. And all of this math is about to change for the Dallas Mavericks. And Rick Carlisle, with the, with the greatest gift in the sport, a 22-year-old superstar, the greatest gift in the sport, just walked away, saw the writing on the wall, and said, I'm going to go, this was my decision, my decision alone, and he really did a great job of controlling the messaging on this before Mark Cuban got involved in the story or potentially tarnished or potentially made the the PR move of making the Mavericks look good at the very least of like saying, look, we, we thank Rick for all of his time. This was an amicable parting of ways when it really seems like Rick Carlisle saw the writing on the wall that they were going to fire him not this year, but the year after because of his run-ins with Luka Doncic, that the expectations were too high for a roster that's going to be too depleted and an organization that's now going through a transition about to sign Luka to a five-year extension because Luka Doncic is not in a position to turn down $200 million on the rookie wage scale. It's just he would be sacrificing way too much for not enough gain to try and force his way out of Dallas. And so he's going to sign that extension and the moves today signify we're going to listen to you on a new GM or at the very least, we're going to clear house on the GM and this coach is going to take off and we're going to bring in a new coach and we're going to retool this organization for the Luka Doncic era. And Luka is going to sign that extension. They've got six years of Luka Doncic and Rick Carlisle kind of knew he wasn't going to be a part of it because they weren't going to be good enough to win next year at a level that would help protect his job. 
And so Rick Carlisle is going to go coach the Portland Trailblazers or go coach the Boston Celtics or go coach the um, the Milwaukee Bucks if they end up losing on Saturday and, and getting rid of Mike Budenholzer. He can have any job he wants right now, and there's some pretty damn good ones available. I mentioned the three really good ones that are about to be available, Portland, Boston, and, and Milwaukee. Great jobs to have. Yes, you can have Luca, who you've been butting heads with at you know the 22-year-old superstar coming of age, but you can get in their prime Damian Lillard, you can get rising star Jason Tatum, or you can get Giannis. Like those are some pretty good consolation prizes, knowing that you're not going to get to coach Luka Doncic anymore. So to Rick Carlisle, he's going to get a nice opportunity and he saw the writing on the wall and he's going to go get some contract security with another one of these teams that he will immediately get another coaching job. And ultimately I think it'll be better for Rick Carlisle, which is why he ultimately made the move today to walk away with two years on his contract from the Dallas Mavericks, knowing that in a year Dallas might fire him and he might not have that same cushy opportunity that is waiting for him as a fallback option right now between Portland and Dallas or Portland and Boston or Milwaukee, or even if those don't work out, you can go coach Indiana. But I think everyone kind of wants Rick Carlisle because he instantly becomes the best coach available on the market other than John Calipari, which is another weird thing that's going on right now with the transition phase between college basketball and the the new transfer rules and the fact that, you know, the old guard of Coach K, Roy Williams, Lon Kruger, those guys just kind of walked away and said, we're good. Uh, we don't, we don't, we're, it's going to take too long to evolve. And to be honest, we're ready to go. And John Calipari, who's coming off of a really bad year at Kentucky, might be in a similar position looking for a, uh, an exit route in the changing realm of college basketball. So to the Dallas Mavericks, this is about building around Luka Doncic. I have no idea who the new GM is going to be. If, uh, what I forgot what the name of the guy is. Um, Bob, if Bob is not going to have a big role within the organization, or if he's going to have an increased role within the organization, if Mark Cuban's going to be a hands-on owner or a hands-off owner, is still to be determined because Mark Cuban has done both in his basketball career, um, it, whether it be in hiring the new GM or hiring a new coach and the structure of that organization, which Mark Cuban has not been great at, if his reputation says anything about power dynamics and structure within his organization. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but this is all about building around Luka Doncic. And ultimately, he's going to sign that extension come August 9th, where thanks to making the All-NBA team this year, he's now eligible for a Supermax contract at $200 million. And Luka Doncic will sign that contract, have six years to go in Dallas, and Dallas is going to begin the retool for the next era of Dallas Mavericks basketball, whatever it may look like and whatever the roster may appear to be. Dallas is setting the stage with what they define as a devastating result this year that is going to require devastating consequences, like having a power struggle within your organization that leads to your champion 16-year GM and champion 13-year head coach leaving the organization within 24 hours. We got about five minutes here to wrap up the podcast for the week. Send y'all into the weekend, unless you're already enjoying your weekend and tuning into this on Saturday or Sunday or Monday or however and whenever it is that you're stopping in. 
douchey hockey guy is ready to go because douchey hockey guy has been sitting on the sidelines while we've all been barricaded in epic game fours and game fives in the NBA playoffs. Douchey hockey guy has been firmly intent on the crazy series that the Habs and the Vegas Golden Knights are having in the de facto Western Conference Finals that is now tied one to one with game three coming up here tonight in the Western Conference Finals, even though Montreal is technically in the Eastern Conference. Vegas has everything to gain and nothing to lose at this point. Um, Vegas, I'm sorry, Montreal has everything to get, wait, everything to gain and nothing to lose. Montreal has gotten the one game in Vegas that they needed. Montreal is one and one in the series. Carey Price is going at it again on game three, and he's been average in the past. He's a Hall of Fame goaltender. He's been remarkably average recently. The Vegas Golden Knights with Martinez and, um, uh, sorry, uh, Marcia So. Uh, sorry, I had a brain fart there. The Vegas Golden Knights have been excellent so far throughout the playoffs, just dominating throughout the postseason, knocked off the Colorado Avalanche, who were just the overwhelming favorites to win the West Division presented by Honda. But Vegas ended up taking that from them in six games, getting to this series as reward for being the number one seed still remaining. They get to play the Montreal Canadiens, who... Again, if you had come into the playoffs and ranked to the chances that each of the 16 teams had to win the championship, you probably would have put Montreal last on that list. But here they are dominating their way through two rounds and uh, a depleted North Division presented by Scotiabank where the Maple Leafs choked a 3-1 lead and we talked about that extensively on the podcast to then beating the living shit out of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, who just, you know, after beating Edmonton, just kind of fell flat against a Montreal team that they probably should have beat coming into the series, but Montreal was just on a ridiculous roll. They get to play the toughest team that they've faced in all of the playoffs in Vegas. They lost game one, but they bounced back and took game two on the Vegas Knights home ice. And now they have everything to gain with nothing to lose because they got the one game in Vegas Now they've got to defend the home ice and at the very least try and keep it a 2-2 series headed back to Vegas and prevent a 3-1 series because hockey, 2-2, anything can happen in a three-game sample size. Anything can happen in a seven-game sample size. Three-game sample sizes and five-game sample sizes like we're seeing right now just make everything a little bit less the best team, less of the best team is going to win. Over on the Eastern Conference Finals, which is not technically the Eastern Conference Finals, but for all intents and purposes, we're going to call it the Eastern Conference Finals. The Tampa Bay Lightning are this team of this era. They are the team that defines this era of hockey. They won the Stanley Cup Final last year. In 2019, they had the best record in the NHL, and... They got bounced in the first round in a really shocking upset, but they had one of the best records, actually the fourth best record in the history of the NHL. Then they won the championship in 2020. And in 2021, they had most of their stars get injured and rested, but they spent the whole regular season resting, got the three seed in the central division presented by discover card whipped up in the battle of Florida against the, the Panthers and then went on to beat the Carolina hurricanes rather handily. Now they get the New York Islanders who've kind of been a weird Cinderella team of sorts here. They beat uh, the Washington Capitals in their first playoff round and then looked like the better team against a Boston Bruins team that if the Tampa Bay Lightning are the team that defines this era of hockey, the Boston Bruins are probably second on that list. And last year, 
Uh, we talked about this on the podcast when hockey was in the bubble in Canada that the winner of the Tampa Bay Boston series in the second round would go on to win the Stanley Cup, which is hard to predict in hockey. Hockey's so random, but it just that year, Tampa Bay and Boston were just so far ahead of the competition. Tampa Bay won that series. Lo and behold, they went on to win the Stanley Cup. This year's a little more random, but you could argue Tampa Bay, despite having the third best record of the remaining teams, is probably the best team still left in the playoffs. And they, I'm sorry, they had the second best record. And so they are going up against the Islanders in game three on Thursday. Tampa Bay was tied 1-1 going into the series. They won game three at the Nassau Coliseum, which is this old rickety building that just gets everyone super excited about because it's the time when hockey was America's king sport. And the in the Nassau Coliseum, the Islanders won four consecutive Stanley Cup finals from 1980 to 1983. And the Islanders have been shit pretty much since 1988. But this year, they're making their second consecutive run to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's a rematch against the Tampa Bay Lightning from last year. And what's weird about the Islanders is that you could look at that and say, well, the Islanders are the second best team of this era of hockey, not the Boston Bruins. But the Islanders have never been good in the regular season. They just have weird upsets year after year after year. They beat the Penguins last year in a shocking upset. They This year, they beat the Capitals in a shocking upset, and then they went on and beat the Boston Bruins in a series that they were underdogs in. Like the Islanders just keep having upset after upset after upset, despite the fact they don't have one of the 15 best players in the NHL. But the Islanders keep winning and winning and winning, and Varlamov in the goal is by far their heart and soul. And unfortunately, they didn't score enough to win game three against Tampa Bay. But you know what? You can't sleep on those boys in the Nassau Coliseum. The Islanders are going to be back at it. And Barry Trotz, coach of the year, best coach in the NHL, who for some reason the Washington Capitals let walk away over a contract dispute, goes to the Islanders and takes a team without one of the 15 best players in the NHL and takes them to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals on the back of their goalie, Varlamov. No idea what his first name is, but I know it's Varlamov because he has been awesome across the last two years. Tampa Bay is now up 2-1 in that series. Game four on its way on Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Douchey Hockey Guy and thank you for stopping into the Take It Easy podcast. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and enjoy life. We'll be back at it again on Sunday. Thank you and take care, and I love each and every one of you. Thank you for all of the support that you give to this wonderful podcast that we have. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.